Hello, listeners. This is Mary Jo Matta reporting to you from Washington, D.C. with a very special Ed Surge Extra. On Tuesday, July 14th, I attended the American Federation of Teachers National Conference entitled Teach, and I met AFT President Randy Weingarten and Vice President Mary Catherine Ricker. The AFT has more than 1.6 million members. And if you read the news or check out social media, you might notice that there are varying opinions from outsiders on exactly how the union feels about technology's role in teaching and learning. Well, we decided to get an insider's perspective, so I sat down with Vice President Mary Catherine Ricker to chat about tech and more. All right, enough from me. Enjoy this very special Ed Surge Extra. Good afternoon. I'm Mary Catherine Ricker, and I'm actually a middle school English teacher currently serving as executive vice president of AFT. Mary Catherine, uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Uh, my first big question to you is, um, and I'm curious to ask you, what are the union's feelings about educational technology and how it is or is not making teachers' lives easier, better, et cetera? Mm, this is such a great question because actually at the, at the end of that question is the, is the quandary. Right, I mean, our, our feelings about technology in general is that technology has great potential, great potential, but it needs to be a tool that is an asset to teaching and learning, not a tool that distracts from teaching and learning. So then in terms of tools that you see that are adding to teaching and learning, mm-hmm. is there anything off the top of your head that you've heard teachers talk about, members bring up, that they say to themselves, this is something that is changing the teaching profession for the better or school learning for the better? You know, I know when um, when the teachers I taught with first started getting smart boards, mm. to be honest, it was great to be able to save student work mm-hmm. and bring it up again, you know, in a, um, in, a, you know, in a way that didn't take up a ton of room in the classroom because it wasn't a bunch of chart paper you were, you know, sticking against the back corner of the wall that you were trying to remember now what's period two, what's period three. And so that was wonderful. Um, and, and so I've seen some of the, you know, some of the lessons that can be designed um, around smart boards were actually most successful in those places where teachers were allowed to play with it first. Interesting. Right? Teachers received a lot of, in- of peer-to-peer instruction on how to um, use a smart board and where there was support to make sure that when there was any sort of glitch in the system, you know, your smart board get, you know, gets fried or something like that, that there was support then to make sure that something got replaced right away or that you had some, you know, you had backup technology, even if it was an, you know, an old school projector or something. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that that's one example I've seen in the last decade where, um, you know, teachers, most again, in those situations where teachers felt, you know, supported, felt like they had time to learn and felt um, that the technology was, was going to be supported as well, where um, they really enjoyed it. That's what's interesting about that is people ask me a lot if I think that smart boards are still around as often as we think they are. Right. Um, you know, nowadays in the news you read about one to one iPads, Chromebooks. Do you think that smart boards are still in as great of usage as they were, you know, five years ago? And do you think they're going to stick around? Like people will continue mm-hmm. to use them? You know, I think that's a great question, and I actually I think the deeper question is. There is no limit to the amount of our resources we could invest in technology if we wanted to, 
right? Again, within the last decade, it went from, you know, smart boards to one-to-one programs mm-hmm. with iPads and Chromebooks and things um, to um, hold your own devices. Uh, I was actually on a, uh, the Education Minnesota Foundation for Teaching Excellence, and we gave out grants to teachers. Um, I served on that for six years, and so we would read these grants, you know, scrubbing them of their, you know, identifying characteristics mm-hmm. of school district and that sort of thing. And we actually would see the technology emergence, you know, from from back when we first started reading them, hearing the stories of everybody asking for digital cameras, Mm. right? And then pretty soon no one was asking for digital cameras and everybody wanted Kindles and Nooks for their class. Yep. And then next thing you know, no one was asking for Kindles and Nooks anymore. They wanted iPads and Chromebooks, right? And then they wanted, um, or actually in between that, you know, they wanted, suddenly they wanted smart boards. And so like what I learned from that experience was that Again, there is no shortage to the amount of money we can pour into technology. So we actually need to start asking ourselves, is what we're about to buy or what is being dangled in front of us that looks like a really exciting new thing, is it actually worth the investment yet? You know, or if we're really getting a lot, you know, and if we use the... Um, smart boards as an example, if we actually really feel like that is an engaging way to um, draw kids into a lesson and to get them to express themselves and to, and to get us to like create a, um, an archive of, of their work so we can actually demonstrate to them their progress in learning, then do we really want to jump to an iPad initiative? Mm-hmm. You know, or if we're going to go to an iPad initiative, even if we had the money for a one-to-one system, do we want to look into some of these successful school districts that are doing two-to-one systems, mm-hmm. iPad sharing programs or Chromebook sharing programs that are seeing some really fabulous technology um, or innovation in their in their use of technology? And so, again, I actually feel like the, the provocative question that probably needs to be asked mm-hmm. is, given that technology could absorb all of our resources, mm-hmm. What are the smart investments we want to make that are timely, but not trendy? Mm-hmm. That's I, I really do feel like that's the question we should wrestle with. And that seems like a question that people have slowly started wrestling with. Of course. But, but I guess what I'm wondering to ask you is, from the union's perspective, whose responsibility is it to answer that question? Because mm-hmm. administrators are the ones typically that have access to budget and funding. Right. You know, this this AFT conference, the big yeah. theme has been teacher voice. So how do you think there can be a, can there be a balance between those two? And do you bring in the parents and the students? Who's, who is it? I think the last part of your question actually really hit on a golden opportunity we have here. Mm-hmm. So there are actually a myriad of, of things that shape a school climate and a school culture. And any of those things could really benefit from teachers students and their families sitting down together to define that decision, right? And define that school climate. I think the need for technology and the use of technology, as well as the purchases we're going to make with our precious public education dollars for technology, I feel like that is such a sweet spot for teachers and students and their families to sit down together. Mm -hmm. Because what you have is you have 
all the people at the table who care most desperately about our students and about their education. Mm -hmm. And you have those students who very often are the ones with the with the cutting edge technology in front of them, mm -hmm. right? Or the knowledge of it. And so you have students who can help push the envelope. You have teachers who can do that, um, you know, precise and professional thinking about how that envelope then would get used in a classroom learning setting. Mm -hmm. And you have parents who have common sense parameters they may want to put on some of that learning and, or some of that screen time or some of that access, mm -hmm. right? Or some of the um, privacy that they may want their children to have. And, and I really think that the convergence of that knowledge, right, that teachers and students and their families can bring together to have those discussions could really powerfully shape uh, a school's, a classroom's, or even a district's mm -hmm. uh, technology focus. The, the vocal inclusion, I think the fact of getting all those people in a room is so quintessential. Yeah. And, and it brings me to my last question, which is a little bit of a provocative question, but I'm sure you get this all the time. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the unions and the charter systems and, and the legislators, that they all need to come together to kind of find a common goal for technology in order to really be able to make it, quote unquote, work? Is there a common discussion that those different groups can have? I, you know... I think there is, and at the same time, I feel like the like the the conclusion to that common discussion is a little bit like the speed of light, right? You can approach it, but you can't attain it. And you know, like because technology is so rapidly advancing and evolving and expanding, right? I mean, access to technology when we think, uh, uh, you know, I'll speak from personal experience. I could not afford my first personal computer that I could personally own until I was in my 20s. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and my son was able to save up enough to buy his own personal computer, you know, like a really stripped down, but like played his games and did his word processing thing, you know, at 13 years old. <laughs> I thought you right? were going to say five. <laughs> yeah, no, like, there are probably kids out there who can do that. Yeah. No, exactly. So when we talk about the expansion of access and you know, and in the in the ways we've actually been trying to expand access as well as an equity issue, right? So you get public libraries that, you know, that are trying to use as innovative as technology as they can afford and public schools doing the same thing. That as soon as we came to a conclusion in a discussion like that, I feel like we would have a new discussion on the horizon. Mm. And so I think what, what, what I would say we need to get at is a commitment Hmm, to continue to be at the table to discuss things as they roll along hmm. and make decisions as we can, understanding that those decisions may be somewhat fluid mm -hmm. given that we don't know what's coming up next. Mm -hmm. So right? essentially and I, we yeah, almost like for a, that. a task force that is kind of united in the sense that you want to be able to adjust to the future, but who right. knows what's even hap going to happen. That's right. You know, there are some constants we should probably have at a table that, you know, is gathered with all the people who care desperately about meeting the needs of students. Mm -hmm. You know, things like protecting privacy and things like equitable access to all students regardless of their zip code. And then there are variables we're just going to have to admit exist. Mm -hmm. And some of the variables are things that you know, someone is tinkering with right now in their research and development lab as K-12 
casual or sophisticated as that may be, mm -hmm. that we're going to discover six months from now mm -hmm. or six years from now. And we're just going to have to understand that there are variables that are going to constantly be reintroduced into the equation that is that conversation. I mean, it still blows my mind that the Watson computer that beat Jeopardy, you know, all those know. years ago is all of a sudden now, I guess, as was announced, well, talked mm -hmm. about by IBM here at your conference, it's going to be transformed into a teacher product. Correct. I mean, so with something like that, do you think that those tech ed tech products that we don't even know about mm -hmm. are are things that we can and should prepare for as professional educators? As much as we can, right? As yeah. much as we can prepare for anything. I think, you know, preparing for them is a part of it. The other thing I actually may be more interested in seeing is actually giving teachers the time and space to develop them themselves. You know, one of the things that um, encouraged me about Stan Letow's uh, presentation of Watson was that he repeated over and over again that this was going to be developed by teachers for teachers. And I, I do think there is something to be said for some of our teachers may have some of the most brilliant tech ideas coming up mm -hmm. and, you know, who are we to stand in their way? But how do we find the time and space? And this becomes a really fun problem for our union to solve, quite frankly, right? How do we carve out the time and space at our collective bargaining tables to discuss um, the conditions a teacher would need to develop products for, our own, for her own students or for our school district? Um, that, to me, sounds like a lot of fun. Mary Catherine, this has been fantastic. Oh, thanks um, for having me. If any of our listeners want to get more information about the American Federation of Teachers, how can they do that? Oh, please start at AFT.org. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for your time, and thanks for being here.